want to begin in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, if you will turn there with me. We're talking about the church, the body of Christ, what it is, um, what it is in the mind of God, the intention of God for the church. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul begins in this prayer for the body of Christ, the church at Ephesus. And he says, wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... And love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. I think you would have to agree that Paul is addressing born-again people. He's addressing the church. And his prayer for the church is because they have faith in Jesus, they have love for the saints... And he prays to them. And this is his prayer for born-again people. And and I just want to stress this to you as we're going through it. That you would recognize as a Christian that there are not things automatic in your life because you become a believer. <clears throat> you could You could have become a believer, but you could be just living in such a bankrupt state in your Christianity. <clears throat> Because there's just so much that's available to you. And he says, this is his prayer for the church. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. May give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Just because you're born again does not mean you have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that saddens me most as a minister is to observe the multitudes of people that don't. And it's not the fact that they don't care. They're not even praying for it. They're not even coming in agreement with Paul of all that is out there, this ocean of knowledge about Jesus Christ. Not only that, he prays that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. Just because you're born again and you can say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was blind, but now I can see. It doesn't mean you see clearly. It doesn't mean that you see everything. There is a prayer that Paul is praying for believers that their understanding would be enlightened. So that they would know this, that they would know what is the hope of his calling. What is the hope of his calling? God had a hope. When he called you into Christ, when the gospel came to you and the Holy Spirit was convicting you and you were being born again, what was the hope of God for you? Your hope might be, I don't want to go to hell when I die and I want to go to heaven when I die. And that's very shallow. What was the hope of God when he saved you? And then it says this, and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So what is the deposit that God has made in your life that he desires to get back from you? The Bible says that you were bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus. Therefore, God's made an investment in making you his very own. And then he also prays that the church would know the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power, this was demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus. That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And you can be born again. And you could really be going to heaven when you die. And you might live your whole life as a Christian in in the puddles, if you will, of the shore. Of a very elementary understanding of Jesus. Never really knowing why God saved you. 
never really allowing God to have the inheritance from your life that he put there and never knowing the baptism in the Holy Ghost, the power of God. And so Paul prays this for the church, that they would know these things. And it is my desire in going through these lessons on Sunday mornings at nine to teach us what is the church, what's the hope of God, and what is the riches of, of the inheritance that he wants from our life. And so I want to go, we're going to come back to Ephesians, but I want to go to John chapter 7. And I want to read just a very short passage of scripture that Jesus makes in regards to one of the things he certainly hoped for in, in, in reference to us, the church. <clears throat> and in John 7 verse 37, it was the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. And Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. <clears throat> and so obviously there was this hope of Jesus. The hope of his calling would have to do with the fact that thirsty people would have access to Jesus. Thirsty people who need something to drink, would have access to Jesus, and they would be given living water to drink. This was played out in John 4 with the woman at the well, where Jesus was able to satisfy her thirst, and a whole city came to Jesus because of her testimony. <clears throat> and so in this particular passage, Jesus says this, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. But he doesn't say, out of my belly shall flow rivers of living water. He says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And it's the hope and the intention of God that this church is far more than a social institution or organization that people go to to hear a sermon on a Sunday morning. And that God certainly saved you with a greater intent and a greater desire than to simply give you the ability to go to heaven when you die and not hell. And the hope of God was that through multitudes of people, they would become the stones of a new house. As Evan corrected me last Sunday, we're not bricks, we're stones. And not held together with martyr, but comfortably and perfectly fit together in a structure, a temple. And I love that. That we might be the house of God. So it is the desire of Jesus that anybody that's thirsty today could come to church. And they're not coming to an institution or a group of people who gather together on a Sunday morning to sit in a chair, sing some songs, listen to a man speak. But people who are thirsty would have access to Jesus today. And out of your belly would not flow bitterness and depression. And you wouldn't be the typical stoic religious person who cannot express the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. But you would actually be a vessel by which the Holy Spirit is moving 
And people could actually drink the living waters of Jesus today. That's the hope of God. That you would be that for him. And you have to ask and examine your own life. As to the degree that you truly are that. In Ephesians chapter 2. If you go back there. I want you to see this in verse 15. Because it's what we were studying the last couple of weeks. It says that. He has abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace. The desire of God in establishing the church is that God is establishing a new man in the earth. And the hope of God is that in that new man will flow rivers of living water and people who are looking for Jesus will have access to him. That people would be able to find this church, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day, throughout the day, all the day long, that there would be this church moving through the earth full of the Holy Ghost and full of power and full of life. Giving life to people that are certainly thirsty for God. So we the church are that man of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15. And I ask you to examine yourself. Because maybe for you, you're just an attender. That's about it for your church life. We attend church. But there's so much more in the hope of God. The church is a man. And its life is the life of Christ. And we exist for God. In 1 John 4, it says that as he is, so are we in this world. Jesus is victorious. He is overcome. He has all authority and power. And because his life is our life, we exercise that in the earth. The Bible says in Acts 1, verse 8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Please listen to me. The Lord never intended his church to be natural or common. He intended his church to be supernatural. That is why God has endowed believers with gifts. And why God desires to give gifts to men and women. 1 Corinthians 12 speaks a lot about this. These spiritual gifts come from three Greek words. The Greek words are pneumatica, pneumata, and charismata. These are the three words describing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And all of them point to this particular thing. That these gifts are supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit given freely to believers. You don't earn them. You don't get them with a degree. You don't get them because you went to seminary. You don't get them because you're smart or you're strong or you're powerful or you have to be in the church for 20 years. They're free gifts given to all believers So that the Holy Spirit will be able to demonstrate himself in the earth and magnify Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said that I give you power over all of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Jesus, as we just read, prophesied of this, that he would baptize us with the Holy Spirit. He said that you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit's come upon you. He came in you at salvation. That's not what Jesus is talking about in Acts 1.8. Your salvation is the Holy Spirit coming in you. Your empowerment is the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And there's a difference in the words, in you and upon you. And many of you have never received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the hopes of God cannot fully be accomplished in your life. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit cannot be freely demonstrated through your life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifting, which, praise God, is a free gift. A free gift. It's not all about walking on water. It's not all about casting out devils. It's not all about raising the dead, these gifts of the Holy Spirit. These gifts of the Holy Spirit have mostly to do with the distribution of ministry to relieve the lack that is in other people's lives. It's not always in what we might consider a supernatural wonder, though those things will certainly occur often. But sometimes it's just the ability to do the day-to-day things of ministry, like Evan and Wendy being here today. Many of us would not be here today because we don't understand the church. They do. And so they're operating in the gift of the Holy Spirit, not only to receive, but to give. As a matter of fact, Evan even showed up in our early morning prayer meeting to pray over us. Absolutely phenomenal. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is powerful. It would be reasonable For any of us to sink into depression or to despair. But by the gift of the Holy Spirit, they choose to operate. And we all can. It's not about having so many abilities, as I said, that are supernatural in their miracles. But to relieve those that are afflicted. To relieve those that are addicted. To relieve those that are suffering in grief. The charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit enable believers to minister to others. Because a lot of times we think that the Holy Spirit is just there to minister to me. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the means by which the Holy Spirit ministers to others through you. Way beyond mere human capability and intellect. And oftentimes he does things through your life at the moment you don't even know he's doing it. But the testimony of it will come of how the Lord used your life. And so I want to go to this in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 18. And this is where we talk a lot about the charismatic gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says in verse 18, but now... Has God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleased him? Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, 
but that the members should have the same care one for another. So the Holy Spirit puts us in the body where it pleases Him, and the Holy Spirit desires, okay, I don't want any schism in my body. I have placed you where I want you to be. And I am gifting you with how I want to operate through your life. Don't covet somebody else's position. Be content with what I've placed you in and where I've placed you and what I want you to do. Now I read this about schisms because I want to talk about something. This man we call the church exists for God. You are privileged to be brought into it. You're not entitled to be brought into it. You're privileged to be brought into this church. I'm not talking about first New Testament. I'm talking about the body of Christ to function as a member of the body. This man, the church, exists for God to inhabit through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I say this to us, we must not hinder the Holy Spirit through this man. We have to be careful of that. If gifts are in you, I don't want to hinder the gifts. If gifts are in me, I would not want you to hinder the gifts. My own flesh can do a great job in hindering the Holy Spirit. Just a little bit of negativism from you can be the the straw that breaks the back of how the Holy Spirit wants to work through my life. A lot of times that happens in homes because a man's trying to really walk with God and he hasn't been doing a great job of it. And so maybe the man's put under a lot of pressure and, and oh, okay, well, I want to see how you really do with this. And they're just quenching that spirit of God in their life. Or a child goes to a retreat and comes back on fire for God and, and the family and the moms and the dads, they're just not active in church. And so they don't go to church much and they're not involved in the church and That fire that was in that child over a retreat is quickly put out because we did not honor what God was doing in their life. We strayed from the church. Schism means division or separation. God does not want a schism in the church. He does not want us fighting one another. When a person comes to you grumbling or fault finding with another person, don't entertain that. You're dealing with the Holy Spirit in his body. Be careful how you talk about other people. Don't even argue with them about that. And don't turn your back and walk away because that person's going to find somebody else until they find somebody that's going to listen to them. Stop the gossip. So if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I want to talk to you about Chris Mahalik. Great. What are you doing? Well, I got his number. I'm calling him. No turning back now. I'm calling him, letting him know you wanted to talk to me about him. I'm stopping gossip where it starts. So Chris is going to know you have an issue with him. Because you tried to approach me with, oh, to God, if we did that in the church, you talk about gossip stopping. But we don't do that because we don't understand the church. We just think it's like a movie we go to. And, and then we, we move out. So be careful when somebody comes grumbling or murmuring about another member of the body. We should have the same care one for another. 
It's the beginning and the moving of God's power among us that we care for each other. I want, I want to read this to you. Two, two scriptures in Matthew. And I want you to see how the devil operates. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 10, the Bible says, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? See how the devil operates? The devil didn't go, or these publicans didn't go to Jesus and say, Jesus, why do you sit with publicans and sinners? They went to the disciples. Why? We're trying to cause division between Jesus and his disciples. So the publicans go to the disciples. Why does Jesus do this? Why does your master do that? And then the other scripture is in Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the ears of the corn and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Behold, your disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. That's how the devil works. The Pharisees had a problem with the disciples. They don't go to the disciples about it, they go to Jesus. When they had a problem with Jesus, they don't go to Jesus. They go to the disciples. A child that has a problem with their parents. They got a problem with their mom. They go to their dad and say, mom did this and that. They had a problem with their dad. They go to their mom and say, can you believe dad did this? And they're trying to build their team. They're trying to get their way. It's by dissension. Jesus said a house divided against itself will not stand. So somebody comes to me and says, hey, why does Chris do that? I'm calling Chris. I'm not going to be the means of dissension or division in the body of Christ. If God is going to get what he hopes for, we've got to take this seriously with all of our heart and our might. Back in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says, and, and I want you to read this with me carefully. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 he says, let no corrupt, which means worthless, communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. So my speech is to minister grace and grace to those who hear me. It's not to be worthless speech. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. If the church is the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit and the hope of Jesus is that men have access to him and there's rivers of living water flowing out of our bellies who is the Holy Spirit, I don't want to grieve him. So I want to be careful how I speak to you and about you and how others hear me talk. Because if I'm not careful, my speech can grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And the word malice means causing trouble, disturbing the peace. That's what malice is, disturbing the peace. I've been in situations in my life, I'm doing just absolutely fine. It's one of those rare moments, I'm on a mountaintop. 
Everything's glorious. Everything's great. And here comes somebody climbing up my mountain with some negative speech. And all of a sudden, my peace is gone. Disturbing the peace. Don't do it. Help the peace. Listen, I understand church discipline. I understand wolves in sheep's clothing. I understand that Satan pretends to be an angel of light. And he has missionaries that pretend to be ministers of light. I'm well aware of that. That's the exception. And trust me, as a church, we are on guard for that. But that's an exception. As it relates to the body of Christ... None of us are perfect. The gifts of the Holy Spirit do not come to us because of our perfection. Or none of us would have any gifts. The Holy Spirit gives us these gifts because they're gifts of grace. And we need to learn to be kind to one another. We we need to have a tender heart. We need to forgive one another. Why is that even there? Because in the church, you're going to get offended. In the church, you're going to have a heart that is going to want to retaliate. But you need to forgive. And verse 31 says, when these things happen to you, put it away. Shake it off. Shake the serpent into the fire. Just shake it off. And he says in verse chapter 5, Be you therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then it talks about all these sins of the flesh that we should put away as well. But our speech is what grieves the Holy Spirit, the way we talk about each other. Many, many young people do not stay in church when they grow up. You know why? One great reason is the way mom and dad talk about the church on their way home. It's the way mom and dad talk about the preacher on their way home. It's the way mom and dad talk about how much they dislike that and dislike this on their way home. It is our words that are destroying people's lives and hindering or grieving the Holy Spirit from being able to move. So I want us to be careful for that. The Lord is grieved and the devil is pleased when we are not speaking words of grace. When we as the children of God are fighting among ourselves, Satan takes that as worship because he's the one that stirred it up. I pray the Lord will never permit me to fight with another Christian as long as I live. I'll fight wolves in sheep's clothing, but I pray to God I will never, never raise my hand Against the body of Christ ever again in my life. I pray to God that he will help me do that. I'm scared of myself because I know my propensity is to do that. But I pray to God that I will not. I want to come to this conclusion and I'm going to try to do this quickly. If you will follow with me quickly in your Bibles. The the Holy Spirit is supposed to move through the church. The Holy Spirit's vehicle of expression Is the church. That's why you exist. Not to go to a service on Sunday. But to be a part of a body that is gifted. And you are operating in your gift. Helping others operate in their gift. And there are times we have to be merciful and forgiving to others. Because let's face it. Maybe we just get in the flesh. Maybe we don't walk as 
gracefully as maybe Evan and Wendy would walk in a time of crisis and and, and we begin to compare ourselves with ourselves and we fall in greater condemnation. That's not what the Holy Spirit would want us to do. The Holy Spirit just simply want us to access his grace, his power, his presence, his reasonings in our life to be able to do that. And so one of the things that really paralyzes the body of Christ is fear. And Paul said to Timothy, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. And the fear is not the fear of the world. It's the fear of the body. It's the fear of you. What will you think of me? What will you do to me? And that fear becomes very, very great. People have to walk around dishonestly. Christians walk into their church. How are you doing? I'm doing great. But you know you're not. You're just lying about it. Because you have this fear. How can I tell people in my church how I'm really doing? What will they do to me? And that attitude comes from hell. That thought comes from hell. It comes from Satan. It does not come from the Holy Spirit. He doesn't do that to his body. But it is that fear that paralyzes us from operating in the Holy Spirit and trusting God and stepping out in faith to do the things God would want us to do. So Acts chapter 15. I want us to just read a couple of things here that we need to be mindful of in regards to the church. And this is when the Gentiles were being saved and the council was trying to decide what are the things we should put on the church. And in Acts 15 verse 7, and when they had been much disputing or they had been much disputing about what to do, do we put them under Moses? Do we do this? What, what do we do? Peter rose up and he said to them, men and brothers, you know how that a good while ago, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knows the hearts, bore witness, bore them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did to us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God? To put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. That's the law. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. In verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. That you abstain from meats offered to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. From which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. Fare ye well. And so that was what they wanted to just try to warn the Gentiles. Well, this, this whole thing, when you read Paul's letters... This whole thing in, in the church world now is becoming like a law in the church world. And Paul has to deal with that. And about eating meat. And eating meat that was offered to idols. And eating meat with the blood. And now it became the means of entrance into heaven. It, it, was, it was the whole kingdom of God was wrapped up in what you eat. 
So Paul had to deal with this in Romans 14. And I want you to turn there and see this. He says in Romans 14, and and, and there's so much truth here. Meat is the illustration. But there's so much truth here. And I'm just going to skip through this chapter and you read it and you go through it carefully when you have time. Paul says in verse 1, Him that's weak in the faith receive you, but not to doubtful disputations. That means debate and reasonings and imagination. Sometimes any of us can be weak in the faith. And when we're weak in the faith, we need to receive each other. We're not, I'm not here to debate you. I'm not here to win an argument. I'm not here to prove I'm right and you're wrong. That's not weak in the faith. That is a debating mind. But sometimes we just get weak in our faith. And that weakness affects us. And when that happens, we need to receive each other. We need to help each other. And so he says this, one believes that he can eat all things and another who is weak eats herbs. Let not him that eats despise him that eats not. The the brother that's eating the herbs is weak in his faith, but don't despise him because he's weak. There might be somebody that's dealing with depression and they're weak in their faith, but don't despise them because they're weak. Be careful that we help one another. And let not him which eats not judge him that eats. For God has received him. And those of you that would eat herbs, and you can put this into whatever modern day taboo is there. Don't judge those that eat. Because that's what's happening. The people that were eating herbs thought they were the strong ones of faith. And the Holy Spirit said they're actually the weak ones. And But the weak ones were thinking, the people that are eating meat, they're sinners. And so you have this division, this schism in the body of Christ that Paul did not want. And it's summed up here. Who are you that judges another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yes, he shall be held up for God is able to make him stand. And then he talks about the days. Some people say, this is the day we need to esteem. And other people say, this is the day that we need to esteem. And Paul says, what's the big deal about days? When, when did we make this the kingdom of heaven? This is the way you get to heaven. You observe this day. You, you eat this or you don't eat that. And this is what the kingdom of heaven is. If you regard the day to the Lord, then regard it to the Lord and go for it. Let it be for God. And that's, this is what you regard it for. And then he says in verse 8, whether we live, whether we die, or whether we live, we live to the Lord. Whether we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. To this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set it not your brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Do you see what's going on in the church? This is the point I want you to understand. See what's going on in the church? Judgment. People were judging one another. And they were determining you're in sin because you don't do what I do. And others would look at them and say, your faith is so weak. I have no time for you. And they were putting people away because of the weakness of their faith. And Paul is saying, listen, this is not the way it should be. Jesus Christ is going to judge us. We're all his servants. There's a Holy Ghost in the house. 
And if you're really born again, the Holy Spirit knows how to discipline his children. And if you're doing bad things and you're getting away with it, you're an illegitimate child. You don't belong to the family, though you've joined the church. You don't belong to the family. But if you belong to the family, the Holy Spirit knows how to sanctify you a lot better than the pastor does. And a lot better than the person sitting beside you does. It doesn't mean that we can't help each other and teach and discuss things from the scriptures. But not with a debating argumentative mind. But with a desire to really know and really learn. So he says in verse 13, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. But judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I just want to live my life to give you the easiest access to Jesus that I can possibly give you. That's what I want to do. I want to give you the easiest access to Jesus that I can give you. Now, if you're walking in a direction that's away from Jesus, I'm going to let you know that. But I want to give you the easiest access to Jesus that I can possibly give you. And then he says this. In verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Because that's what they made it about. They made it about eating meat or not eating meat. It's not in that. Call if you come up. The kingdom of God is not in meat and drink. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. And for meat, don't destroy the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor drink wine nor anything whereby your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So everything you do in your life, listen now, I'm closing. Everything in you, everything you do in your life is for the good of the church. Everything. How can I help you? How can I strengthen you? How can I give you easy access to Jesus without a bunch of hoops to jump through? Without a bunch of standards to go through. How can I give you easy? Because if you can get to Jesus, Jesus can take care of you. If you get to the church, we have to make all kind of rules to make the church the church. But if it's not about getting here and it's about getting to him, he can take care of us. So I want to help you get to him. So I just say that because there's a lot of fear in believers about you judging me and me judging you. How could God use them? They're not holy enough. And you are? I am? I think not. Jesus has qualified us. And by grace alone, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. And I would pray to God, guys, it would matter to you. I pray that the hope of God for the church would matter to you. People who are thirsty and looking for Jesus could have a living water to drink today. It comes from you comes from me. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for this opportunity to be able to be the church. What a privilege is ours to be that man in the earth that represents Jesus and demonstrates Jesus. Have your way with us today. Bless this time today. Just, we don't have long because I'm long-winded and I apologize. 
But for the next moment, not long, maybe just a moment, sit there, meditate on what God has said to you today. Meditate on it, your words, your speech. Are you the church? Are you really the church? Are you really in that body with living water? Consider it. Enjoy it. Enjoy this fellowship with God.